Hello and welcome everyone to the 56th episode of Everyday Eternal. Joining me tonight is actually none of our regular hosts. Neither Matt, Eric or Bob were available for various reasons. You guys probably know that Matt is like a mil military badass and here to go on an extraction mission tonight. Uh, a tooth extraction mission of that kind. So he couldn't make it. And as you guys know, Eric is also trying to make his way back into the United States. I don't know how far he has gotten, but... Currently, right now, he's probably going to be on a hiatus until like June or July, until he's finally made it his way back to Oregon. And Bob, uh, well, everything we know about Bob is that he has to hide from the law right now, something about his um, involvement in the 2008 financial crisis. So he might be back next week, who knows. But joining me tonight are two of, I want to say, Legacy's premier content creators right now, Max Gilmore Hi. and Min Hatchel Huck. Hello. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks, Julian. Yeah, thank you for inviting us. Guys, what time is it actually for you right now? Like, It's a little after 10 a.m. for me. And it's a little after 1 p.m. for me. So, Max, you're hailing from the West Coast, right? Yeah, I'm in California. And when you're somewhere on the East Coast? Close to the East Coast, in between the East Coast and the Midwest. I'm from Ohio. It's always super interesting how to how we actually manage to work out the time zones. It's even harder when Eric is on the cast because right now he's still somewhere in East Asia, which makes it quite hard. But thank you so much for taking the time. And for those people who don't know you or don't know you yet, I think most people who are somewhat enfranchised in the legacy community know who you are. But Max, why don't you like tell us something about yourself? Like where where are you originally from? What are you doing? And What's your thing in legacy? Like, which cause? Cool. Okay, that's actually pretty. <laughs> let, let, let me cut that. It was a pretty stupid question. <laughs> Max 101. I can do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Max, for those people who don't know you yet, uh, I think most enfranchised players would probably know you very well already. Uh, but for those who are new to the cast or to the format, can you tell us something about yourself, who you are? Sure. So, my name is Max Gilmore. I'm a. Uh, 30-year-old mechanical engineer. I was born and raised in Southern California, where I live also now. I went to school in New York, which I also really enjoyed. Um, but Magic History, I got. I played Magic as a kid, uh, very casually, as many of us did. I got back into Magic during college. I played competitive StarCraft II, and one of uh, my teammates was a Magic player. And so one of the one night I asked what he was doing and he said, I'm going to go to a magic draft. And I said, that game, I love that game. Let's do it. And uh, that was, I believe, a, uh, a pre-release for Innistrad. And after that, um, the rest was history. I opened a Snapcaster Mage, uh, got my love of blue. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, uh, I actually, I have to stop you right there. Yeah. You said you played competitive StarCraft, because that, that's something I did as well. Like I played mostly Brute War, but I also played a, quite a lot of StarCraft 2, actually. Um, did you also play Brute War, or was, was StarCraft your first avenue into competitive RTS games? I was a casual Brute War player, but I, StarCraft 2 was the first time I played competitively, like master, master's level not quite Let me guess your race. You, you strike me, I don't know why, but you strike me as a Terran player. I was Protoss. Oh, okay, <laughs> fellow brethren, I love Protoss. I think I was actually maybe better with Terran, but like Protoss, that, that's that's my thing. So <laughs> awesome, awesome, really happy to hear that. Yeah, so following from that, I um, I started playing Magic with uh, a group of college friends. 
in New York. And then when I moved back to California, I found a local game store that I was right near my house. I really enjoyed. I met some great people like um, one of the original Everyday Eternal cast members, Jacob Corey. Um, oh, yeah. Quickly yeah. became Shout friends with Jacob. him. Yeah. Quickly became friends with him. And um, I was really into standard at one point I owned a Unity playset of everything in Standard. And he was looking at my collection and said, Max, you know, uh, you've got a Legacy deck sitting here. And I was like, no way. And he was like, yeah, look at this. So we tallied up some values. We went to um, a big, I guess, uh, kind of like a trade, uh, like a bazaar for magic called Frankensons in uh, Southern California, City of Industry. And I went in there with my Standard collection and walked out with a Legacy deck. I walked out with Blu-ray... Blue, white, red, Delver. Wizards probably hates Corey for doing that kind of stuff, like getting that you know, super enfranchised standard player and be like, hey, you know what? Just like trade those cards away. I've got something more exciting for you. Come over. We got some legacy over here. <laughs> yeah, so, so, that, so that was in 2012. And uh, the rest is history. I've just been playing a ton of various decks since then. Um, I've expanded into pretty much everything fair and blue, a little bit of combo. Um, I had a baby born a year and a half ago, and my uh, my time kind of went down a lot, and so I started uh, casting Chalices of the Void because that <laughs> takes that's what less you do time. when you have a baby. <laughs> exactly. Maybe that's what it's gonna take Anorak to to start embracing the chalice. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, that's uh, that's my history there. As far as um, achievements, I don't have any huge top eight finishes. However, if I 5-0 drop the next Legacy Grand Prix, I will have the fifth highest uh, win rate of all time in Legacy. Really? Yeah. Let, let me guess. Thomas Innerwoldson is in first? He is. Um, I know you, you Vidi's... You strike me as somebody who would know that. Yeah, that's why I asked. Yeah. <laughs> um, Vidi is in fifth. Vidi Antovajaya, who's a friend of mine as well. And if I 5-0 drop the next Grand Prix, I'll knock him out of fifth. Awesome. <laughs> okay, so that, that's, that's pretty cool. So... Uh, before we move on, Min, what can you tell us about yourself? I wanted to introduce you as probably one of the most successful legacy players who's never really had a high-profile finish, but that's not true anymore, right? <laughs> it is not, thankfully. Um, so my name is Min Hodgelhawk, but most people just call me Min, um, and I'm known mostly for just playing Miracles, I guess is kind of the, the what most other people, most listeners would know me for. Um, I started playing Legacy in about 2013, uh, late 2012 perhaps. Um, basically, I went to this local shop that had a lot of proxy events, and I was a poor college student for uh, a while, and eventually I, I won some events, and they had winner duels back then as well. So I eventually amassed my collection by winning and then trading uh, duels I didn't need for duels I did need and so on. Um, I quickly fell in love with the Miracles archetype from, in fact, uh, a former guest on the podcast, Philip Schoeniger and Thomas Lichek, um, and their episode that really influenced me kind of to get into that archetype. And since then, uh, I've just been playing a lot of Tundra decks is where I kind of lay my groundwork, but I, I, I've expanded my range a fair bit. I've tested other decks out. Uh, I've played uh, Storm, I've played Delver, I've played Grixis Control, and so on. But... I will always, almost always just gravitate back towards what I know, and I know Miracles fairly well. Um, yeah, that's that's basically me. Oh, uh, I guess I'm a 26-year-old uh, software developer, and I've been in Columbus almost my entire life. I moved to the U.S. when I was two, uh, and so on. <laughs> and so on, which also includes, I think you won the, was it an SCG event? Like, 
I didn't win. Um, so there was a team open in Cincinnati uh, earlier this year, and my team and I top eighted that event. Uh, Jake Jake Tilk and Chase Masters uh, were the standard and modern players, and I was the legacy seat. And that was my first like really big high profile finish, and that felt really 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 good. Pretty sure that's the first of many to come. I certainly hope so. That, yeah, yeah. It's also funny that you mentioned that episode um, with Philip and Tomas that we recorded early on because I I often see you referencing that episode quite a lot and I think you also have it like saved locally. I and do. Yes. <laughs> is that um, actually what turned you into like one of those really dedicated miracle players? Uh, it did. I think. I think that episode had a lot to do with it. And then there's a brainstorm episode, a brainstorm show episode that also kind of made me get further on and understand the archetype because. Um, I realized after listening to those two specific things that I, I really didn't know anything. Um, and, I, and I thought that I did. And <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. And I, when I first discovered that the episode went missing on the original um, host for Everyday Eternal, I got really upset. So I messaged Sam Craven on, on Twitter and asked him to send me the original audio. And he did. And I have it saved locally on like multiple servers. So it never gets lost again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, you're... You're keeping an archive or there's actually a couple of episodes that we're still missing that I've been contacted that I have contacted Sam about to get that back on and that which we might do in the future but for now um, yeah it's good to know that probably our most listened to and most well procedures I almost want to say episodes is, is preserved on your end yes um, <laughs> so guys you recently came out with your own blog, your own website, which is called minmaxblog.com. Is that correct? Yeah, yep. so we did. Um, Min is an amazing uh, website designer. He really, he just took control. I just post articles. <laughs> but yeah, he built a beautiful site here that we, uh, we post content every Wednesday. Um, it's just kind of a passion project for us. We alternate week to week so that we're both, very busy, a lot of uh, stuff going on in our lives, but every two weeks we each post our own piece of content, which allows us to really dedicate the time to try to make something good. Um, the idea being something that if we were reading content, we would want to read or watching, we'd want to watch. And so our goal behind this is kind of creating content that we think people will enjoy what we want to say, what we want to put out there. And so it's Every week, it's something that we feel strongly about, and we, we put it out there. And to kind of add on to that, um, a lot of... You, you touched on the quality of our content. I think one of the biggest things for me individually was I concepts and magic are difficult for me to ascertain and to kind of digest unless I defend them to myself, if that makes sense. So, like, the concept of, um, I guess, patience and, and uh, how ro switching roles in a game of magic can be something that any deck can do, even if you're designed not to do so. Uh, it's something that I didn't really fully understand until I wrote about it, or I read Max's like writing about kind of that whole concept. And that that is kind of a big approach to the way that we write. And it's that we want to make sure that we write things that not only that we want to, we want other people to read, but also that we want to make sure that we communicate. This, these are things that we're learning as well. And I think that there there's a kind of a, a drought of higher level um, magic articles and, and pieces in general that are kind of approaching these deep dives. And I think that we have, we are kind of getting our way into that niche of just having very broad stroked 
and also very niche-based um, writing pieces. Yeah, that's something I noticed about your articles as well, because when you read other articles every once in a while, you will feel like, well, the author had like this article due for the week, and they just got something together so they could collect their money. For you guys, it really feels like it's different. Like you do these deep, deep dives you mentioned, and you really try to explore something. Like in a way, that almost feels like like an academic approach to me. Like, like Min mentioned, you're trying to understand something better by writing about it as opposed to like just putting something out there for the sake of it. Yeah, that's the, that's exactly true. So um, I definitely have an academic background. I did, a, I have a master's degree. I did a lot of research for that as well. And so, and as an engineer as well, I write technical documents. And so when I, when I try to create content, I try to make it very rigorous and I try to really mm -hmm. understand, like just use the scientific method to, uh, to explore a concept. So we wouldn't get any articles like this is Goblin Matron. It, it Googles. <laughs> it, it tutors for a creature. That's good. <laughs> so you really explore. Like Min mentioned, um, a concept that like wasn't actually intended to be part a big part of the show. Maybe we can actually do that in the future. Is the the concept of switching roles, which is like a highly strategic concept that I think a lot of people who feel like they are hitting a plateau, haven't fully embraced and haven't fully understood. And that's like such a such an important skill to master that I think deserves a lot more attention. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, one of the biggest things that sometimes people get bogged down to, uh, and I think I've written a little bit about this in general, is looking at a deck list, you shoehorn yourself into doing what you believe the game plan of the deck list uh, is designed to do. You, you don't think about switching roles or having the ability to go on the aggressive or go on the more controlling side with your mono red deck and so on. Yeah, so piggybacking off of that, um, anyone who thinks a blue-white Delver deck is a bad deck really needs to, uh, to learn about this ability <laughs> to switch roles. Um, decks don't win by doing a thing. You win by interacting with your opponent and playing cards that beat their cards, playing a plan that beats their plan. It's not about doing a thing. You don't, you don't win a game for having the most cohesive deck. You win a game by having your opponent do something and then you beat them. And if you're, if you have cards that beat your opponent and you play those cards in the, at the right times, you'll win. And so that's all that it's about. It doesn't matter if the cards in your deck aren't super synergistic say you're playing a delver to beat combo decks but playing a source supply share so you're not dead to a merit leash cool if those cards together win you more games than you would lose otherwise then that's correct yeah i think a lot of people um i actually don't mean like a lot of people that sounds almost condescending but a lot of people who still have a lot of potential to unlock they are hiding behind certain like black and white heuristics it's like okay you can never play for example salt supplier shares in a delver deck because you might as well play lightning bolt but that that's just like a minor part of the puzzle and there's so much going towards it and basically what i want to say is that the content i see on your website and by the way um you can send me the check for the advertisement later on no, no seriously <laughs> I, I really i really believe that because not only you you have an amazing design in your blog and i think now i'm, I'm gonna stop fanboying about your blog because i really enjoy it and maybe that's actually really the part that min mentioned that there's a lack of deep dive deep dive really interesting articles because i'm super happy that for example say Channel Fireball or maybe even every once in a while SCG still puts out articles. But I think those are for people who are like more like 
oh yeah, legacy is another format I every once in a while touch upon. But your stuff is really for people who want to get deep into legacy and understand it. And that's why um, I'm actually super happy that we guys have you on because you have a lot of interesting takes on a lot of the War of the Spark cards that we have into the format here. And I think some people have even mentioned that War of the Spark might actually be the most influential set for Legacy ever since Innistrad, which is like quite a big claim. How do you guys feel about that? Um, I think that that's true. Um, I think it's probably second to Innistrad as recent times. Innistrad was 2011, so not that recent. Um, As far as being influential to Legacy, all of these Planeswalkers as well as a lot of the creatures and spells in the in the set are just insanely influential. And when we try to write about the content, um, we try to avoid just saying what the card does. The card already does that. Like you, you can read the card to find out what it does. <laughs> um, what we try to say is okay. Read the fucking card. Yeah, we, you know what it does. So at that point, it's okay. What does that mean? What what kind of what can you take away from what that card does? How does it slot into existing decks? What does it mean as far as cards to interact with it? What does it interact with in the format? And what does it potentially break? Like, for instance, the new Karn, which is uh, colorless, is being played everywhere right Karn, now. the great creator. Yeah, that guy. He's, so let's uh, shortly mention, because the card, card is pretty new, um, so it's uh, four colorless for a planeswalker with five uh, loyalty. Its static ability is activated abilities of artifacts your opponent controls can't be activated. The plus ability, uh, actually it's super tiny to read, but basically it animates an artifact and turns it into a creature with uh, power and toughness equal to its converted mana cost. And now the big one, the minus two ability, it lets you basically grab an artifact from your sideboard and put it into your hand. Which is it an no, it's any artifact. Which, as we guys know, the big thing that people were talking about is Mikas and Lentis, which is I think a six mana artifact that turns everything on the battlefield into artifacts and makes everything in well your deck and everywhere else colorless, which is usually less relevant. But the the big part is basically it turns off all activated abilities your opponents have. Which includes lands, which I think that all only like allows them to use, use stuff like Simeon's Spirit Guides or Elfish Spirit Guides anymore. It, I would say, like most of the time, wins the game as long as you can protect protect the card. So, Max, what are your thoughts on that card? So it's even more than you just said. It's uh, it's so it's cool. You just wish said that you can minus two to wish for something from your sideboard. You can also minus two to wish for something in exile. So say you're also playing Karn Scion of Urza, and you uh, you plus one your Karn and you exiled like an ancient den or something like that, or someone swords to plowshares on one of your on your walking ballista. You can also minus two to grab those back from exile. Exiling with a silver counter is still an exile. So it's not yeah, just that's pretty cool. That, that's why we have you guys on the show tonight because um, I totally missed that. <laughs> yeah, it's th- that's really cool. And then secondly, um, with the Mycosynclatus, so it turning everything colorless is also relevant when your opponents can't cast spells. Like, they can't tap mana for things. They also can't force of will, because they can't exile a blue card. So the card is insane. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, this card is incredible. It's it's just so powerful. Um, so how many, I, do, how many Mikas and Lettuces are you guys stockpiling at home right now? <laughs> so I don't actually own... I own three Chalices of the Void in paper, because I needed to fill out Steel Stompy from what I was borrowing from uh, Jacob Corey. But, you were having your child? <laughs> yeah, but I don't actually own Chalice decks in paper, so I don't have any of these cards. I do have them on Magic Online, where uh, 
I have exactly one Mycosynthletus, because that's how many I need in a deck. I actually already own a Mycosynthletus, and I have four Karns on the way, so... There you go. In, in, in paper. So, I'll borrow them from Min. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there, there's a couple of ways uh, people can utilize the card like uh, in your most recent blog post you talked about a couple of different lists and I also watched like, I tried to play today but I didn't have the time but I watched Travis play the deck last night and that produced some insane scenarios and when I say the deck um, I'm referring to the the current Ugin post version but there's also a couple of other versions I think you are pretty high on the white bomberman list I think you called it one of the best decks in the format right now Yeah, I- is that correct? Yeah, I I genuinely think Mono White Bomberman is broken right now. Like, actually, wow. I, I try not to say Heard broken. Heard first, guys. I, I try not <laughs> to say broken too easily. I know that some people are prone to hyperbole, but I actually think this is oh, like... So, 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 so give us some perspective. Uh, like, looking back at a couple of years, which were the broken decks? Like Treasure Cruise. there were any. Like Treasure Cruise Delver. That's like the level that I feel Bomberman is at. Whoa. Like Blue Red Treasure Cruise Delver? Yes. Wow, okay, that, that's a pretty pretty claim. Okay, now I actually got to put the deck together and play it. <laughs> okay, wow. so you have all these cards that work nicely over in overlapping game plans. You can literally Bomberman combo with like just Bomberman returning Lion's Eye Diamond, make infinite mana, grab a walking ballista and kill them. Um, you have chalices, so you can chalice on one, you get free wins that way. You have turn one monastery mentors with astounding regularity where you just play a turn one mentor, you slam a few zero cost artifacts and you just overrun them there you have karn sign of urza which is pumping out six sixes or digging you to any other part of your combo with astounding regularity and you have now karn the great creator where you can just play it um use your lion's eye diamonds first then minus two to get huge chunks of mana instantly so like say you're facing down a wall and you have a card in the lion's eye diamond you play Karn, you crack Lion's Eye Diamond for three mana, you grab Incinerium Bridge, you, they, people can no longer attack you, and then the next turn you grab Mycosynth Lattice and you win. So this deck has five incredibly powerful game plans that all work nicely together and attack on different axes. And so it's it's almost impossible to interact with um, favorably. If someone can beat your Bomberman game plan, you just kill them with 7-7s seven or a Monastery Mentor. If someone can beat you on the creature plan you make infinite mana and walk in bliss to them like there's and if you don't quite have the combo guess what the new karn you put the fourth lion's eye diamond and the fourth uh, walking ballista in your sideboard the new karn great creator can grab you copies of those so you're no longer looking for four copies of each card with uh, three cards in your deck you now have an effective six copies of each card in your deck so it's and for the record, on the receiving end on this yeah, last night when I felt like, okay, well, I, I have my Leyland of the Void, so he's not going to combo me out. Well, guess what? He made like a Monastery Mentor and three tokens on the first turn, and that was it for me. Yeah, and uh, our you mentioned Jarvis earlier. Jarvis also played the Bomberman deck and demolished with it. It the deck it looks extremely powerful, and I think I actually agree with with Max here on on the evaluation of how broken it it looks. So do you guys mind if I call this episode uh, every day 256 the best deck in the format? Maybe that's gonna be it. <laughs> I think there's a few other decks that are in contention to that now, and I think each of them actually play Karn, and it's kind of terrifying to me. Um, a few days ago, uh, the the most recent challenge was won by Eldrazi Post and uh, by a friend of mine actually, uh, Michael Coyle, also known as Susurus MTG. 
he's famous for kind of discovering the the war prison deck in modern um and he piloted eldrazi post uh to a challenge win he uh put together essentially this first draft of an a planeswalker post deck and i i think jarvis played something very very close to what he came up with um a few days ago jarvis actually but, played a 75 that i oh okay i independently of michael coyle like as you said it's not that hard to discover this right, right. You see, hey a critical right. mass of colorless planeswalkers let's uh let's play them <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So a slew of ancient. Uh, you have your all your soul lands, and you have uh, multiple Ukans, multiple Karns, all of which are powerful and not as mana intensive as they used to be in the past for post decks. So like, you don't have to play like Steel Hellkite or Warm Coil Engine and and like kind of creature based things. Planeswalkers are way more difficult to get off the table, especially in a format like Legacy. And he he's like it's 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 kind of bone dead in uh, excuse me brain dead in that. Uh, you'll play whatever your your hand can play, you know what I mean? It's not particularly difficult to actually play. However, it looks extremely powerful and very difficult to interact with. And that's the part that scares me the most. And I think that a shell like that has a lot of potential to be being one of the top decks in the format. And people that are playing in the challenge uh, tomorrow, so May 5th, I strongly believe there's going to be a lot of like post, Eldrazi post, colorless post, uh, Planeswalker post decks will be represented in that challenge, and I'm very, very scared. <laughs> as, as a as a miracles pilot myself, you know what I mean. So bring your back to basics. Yes, absolutely. That, that's what I was going to talk about because I feel like I look at these different deck lists, um, and one thing, of course, that they have in common is the the so called stumpy mana base. But these decks really, especially since like those cards are conveniently at four mana seem to utilize the, the Ancient Tombs and the City of Traders be- better than any deck ever before in Legacy, if, if I want to continue like these superlatives about the deck, because <laughs> it really, really looks like something cool, especially since like Oriok Salvages, that, that has been a thing in like Legacy and Vintage for longer than, than people really remember. But now it coming back, like I remember Caleb actually played that deck in like Season 2 and Season 3 of the Legacy Premier League. But it, it, it used to be like, you know, like a thing Caleb would do, but not like a thing everybody would do. But now it coming back, I'm, I'm really excited for that. But when you already touched on that, like, how do you actually fight those decks? Like, what are the... You can't really, <laughs> not efficiently way. at least. What are the good yeah. and the bad matchups? Like, what do you want to face and which few matchups would you rather avoid? So, uh, Max here, I can, I can talk about that a little bit. So Bomberman used to be known as the Chalice deck that loses to other Chalice decks because it's playing all these zero drops. So as soon as your opponent just drops a chalice on zero, you can't Bomberman combo them. You can't start cycling your baubles or anything. Guess what the new Karn's plus ability can do? It can turn a chalice of the void that your opponent controls into a zero zero, killing it. So uh, you no longer have that avenue. You no longer just lose to chalice decks. And so I think that that matchup profile change is one of the hugest things that uh, this deck has going for it. And then as well as, um, even though you're facing down Karn, which null rods you, which is also really dangerous. Um, you have all these creatures that you can just quite easily attack a new Karn um, pretty quickly. So you can just get the Karn off the table via attacking it and then use your Karns to kill Chalices. So that matchup profile completely switched. Meanwhile, as far as uh, these decks go, you are a little bit weak to back to basics, but you're not that weak to back to basics. If, really, if your opponent's spending three mana to cast that, you can probably just kill them. Um, That's I think it's a huge deal. And, and the thing to note is that Karn is the the power level of Karn is extremely high, and it's also four mana. 
which is very low compared to what Legacy's baseline is for a card that powerful right. and that versatile. And in Shalas Dex, Soul Index, it's two mana. Yes, exactly. It, man, that, that, that Karn is... People are trying it in like Miracles, in, in Grixis, and in, in just any deck because it's so versatile, powerful, and it's very compact in what it does. Now, those may not be where it'll ultimately end up actually working out. And I, I, I'm of the opinion that I don't think Miracles can sustain something like it, but there's a lot of potential in a shell like Death and Taxes, which already plays quite a few artifacts, or, um, well, yeah, just decks like that. Yeah, I can see it working in Death and Taxes for sure. I know that one of my uh, my friends has, Newton Hang, has been trying a few lists with that to a pretty decent success. I also know someone else who just... Uh, Five owed with a birthing pod deck playing a few Karns because it doesn't actually matter what else you play as long as you're playing Karn. <laughs> Maybe I should really try it in Elves. <laughs> Karn, I've actually yeah. been thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, Elves has mana acceleration. You can ramp out a turn two Karn. <laughs> right, turn two. The thing is, if I get a turn two Karn, I'm probably winning anyway. But yeah, yeah, I, I get the idea. Uh, I'm, I'm just super excited to see that there's some actual things happening in the meta game because for quite a while, and it's not get too deep into like what le- my legacy used to be like but i felt like felt somewhat stagnant for a while but now we're seeing all these awesome new things that are happening and they're getting me really excited like hell the other day like anorak mentioned how, how he almost lost to like sense of time which hasn't been really a card of magic for like 25 years at this point uh, did, did you guys know what the card does if i mentioned yeah, it here i do so sands of time is a way for colorless decks to beat back to basics um it you don't Neither player has an untapped step, but on your upkeep, you basically flip your tapped cards and untapped cards. Yeah, player. it's a four mana enchantment from, I think, Visions, and uh, an enchantment artifact. I had and no idea this card existed. Yeah, the card is somewhat infamous because a very, very, very long time ago, like in the mid-2000s, uh, 2000s, right? <laughs> Even far in the mid-90s, somebody played it. I want to say the Pro Tour, or at least like a very high level. And you guys probably know back then, timing rules were horrible, like completely different from what they are now. And somehow that person actually found a way to completely break the card. Like, not even by using a different card, but because by applying a different interpretation of rules. And I think I would try to find that on the internet and link it in the show notes, because it's super interesting. Because I think it was one of the first cases where like there might have even been in-game errata applied to a card, because it was so game-breaking. That's incredible. I had no idea. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that, that's the history of Magic, right? I need, I need to be good for something as well. So, guys... If you were to play a tournament tomorrow, would you, would you still stick to, to Miracles? Because, I mean, that's your thing. And even though we've seen Anorak try to like incorporate like basically five or six or even more Planeswalkers into Miracles, would you still stick to like, a standard list or try this out? I think... So it, it's it's weird that you mentioned that because I am deathly terrified of Karn decks right now. And in order to alleviate that, I would probably stick to a stock blue-white list with Back to Basics in the main deck, as j- just in general. Um, and, uh, and in fact, uh, later on today, we'll be recording this, and hopefully it'll be out on, on, on Wednesday this week. But Max and I will be playing against one another, and it's possible that I play a Tundra deck in, in, in what we do. Uh, and I'll let Max kind of give a, a more of a baseline on what that ha- what, what's going on there, but I'll probably be playing... Um, a, a stock miracles list uh, at that point with main deck back to basics as well. I, I just think that 
if people are playing Karn as heavily as I, I as they should be, in my opinion, and they're playing these Ancient Tomb mana bases, then if you want to play Miracles, Back to Basics has to be part of what you what you what you bring to the table. So yeah, as far as a tournament that we're going to play, yeah, Min and I are going to uh, battle each other and record each of our points of view and post them next to each other as um. So you can next Wednesday you'll be able to see this, um, watching each of our points of view with commentary as we battle best of five matches with at least three unique decks. Um, oh, that's that's super amazing. That's something we should be doing in Magic a lot more because I mean Max, you've seen that in Starcraft as well. Like there's sometimes games where even like a sponsor or the community puts up a certain amount of prize money and then like two famous players battle against each other to to fight for that, and that's always pretty hype and i think you guys also have something on the line at least yeah we have uh, 20 tickets on the line not a huge amount but enough that we'll try absolutely it, i feel that that's actually important to to have at least something on the line um because i honestly believe that when there's nothing on the line people have a tendency to play a little more loose whereas if you actually have to put your money where your mouth is you will think twice about taking a risky but maybe correct line and that's also like why people sometimes, and I agree with that, feel that if there's a split in a top eight and people play it out, it's not as representative of what it might have been uh, as opposed to like playing it out for all the glory and all the money. But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Where can people find that? I guess on your blog, on your YouTube? Yeah, so um, this Wednesday, it'll be May, today is May 4th, so what's... May 4th be with you. May the 4th be with you, yeah. So, May uh, Five, five days from now, May 8th. Yeah. So that will be um, Min-Max Battles number one. And so that will be really cool. We'll try to get the videos synced up as well. So hypothetically, you could watch both at once and have them synced up and watch what each of us are doing. And yeah, you know, it'll, be, it'll be a good time. You guys could even like overlay your hand if you both recorded your hand and you could uh, put it into, into a single video. I mean, at that point, we're getting to, to what we're doing in the Legacy Premier League, but that, <laughs> which is kind of a little fork, but... Basically, that, that's, I think, what people really want to see because it would be so convenient. But, but maybe that's something for the future. Like, right now, I'm already looking forward to, to seeing how that's going to play out. So one of the things that we'll be able to do is uh, our own completely transparent commentary. Min won't be able to hear what I'm saying, and I won't be able to hear what Min's saying. So each of our recorded videos will have our complete trains of thought of exactly what we're thinking and what we're doing and what we're playing around. Meanwhile, you can check, like if I'm playing around this and I'm like, yeah, well, Min might have this and I'm doing this and you can just watch what Min has and he has nothing and I'm like playing around all this stuff. Like, <laughs> and so it'll be really interesting, especially where our thought processes differ. Um, when one of us will make like an interesting play, it's like, hi, I wonder why I wonder why he did that. And then you can check the other video and see why. So, yeah, because yeah, the other person will be explaining that. exactly what's going on. Yeah, and then Min already alluded to that. We'll see four back to basics in the main deck, something like that. No, um, I want to <laughs> somewhat go back to to the deck at hand again. Um, the allegedly best deck in the format, which you guys are certainly like making me feel right now. What are some? We mentioned cards that the deck is bad against that. Like, what are some established decks that you really don't want to face? Because looking at your sideboards, the only thing I'm seeing is like three Tomat script and three Containment priests, and I guess three salt plowshares, which are like cards that you really want. Also, two cast out. So usually, a sideboard tells you something about what deck doesn't want to face. So how do you feel about that? So I've uh, I haven't lost to I've lost once to Delver, but I've beaten a bunch of Delver decks. Um, 
The castouts are interesting. They're really clunky and expensive. They cost four when you actually want to cast them. But what you can do on like your penultimate turn before you die is say you don't have a full combo, but you have LEDs and baubles. You can loop the lines of diamond, make a ton of mana, draw 35 cards, but in response to your draw cards on your opponent's upkeep, you crack your lines of diamonds again. So you have like six mana floating. At which point you can then cast the cast out on your opponent's upkeep with mana up to spare. Because that has flash. Exactly. So oh, that's that's some super deep tech. How, how long did it take you to come up with that? Um, not long at all. I borrowed it from um, Eric Burlett, who's um, a known. He's a good bomberman player. He's uh, I think top aided several of the. Uh, the Quest for Power events, like, in a row with Mono White Bomberman. I played him at uh, Grand Prix uh, Niagara Falls, actually. It was the win-in for Day 2. We had some really fun matches, really close matches. Um, so he and I actually, independently with this new Karn, arrived at an identical main deck 60, and I think, like, 72 of 75 um, in common with zero communication with each other. And then I posted the article, and he was streaming some, and I, and I was like, whoa. These, these line up perfectly. And so it's it's funny how once you kind of realize what cards you need in the deck, it kind of builds itself. And so I really like that uh, you say uh, discovered a deck as opposed to invented a deck because I think that that's far more accurate. You, uh, you realize like, hey, these cards work and they kind of, it builds itself and you're, you're kind of like bringing it out, bringing it to life. Yeah, that's a super interesting semantic. I also noticed it when you earlier on mentioned um, your friend who who discovered, uh, yeah, basically discovered the word deck in modern mm-hmm. because there actually it feels like there's a difference. Like people usually talk about like discovering more like in terms of like standards. Well, apparently there's the stack in there, which usually doesn't happen all that often in legacy anymore. But it feels like it happened here. Yeah, I think uh, War of the Spark in general, uh, War of the Spark, excuse me has a lot of things that are still kind of on the table left to be discovered and fully implemented. You mentioned Anurag um, trying out different Planeswalkers in, in like blue-white shells, and I, I still think that whatever the optimal shell for uh, Narset and Teferi are, those are kind of still remaining to be seen. Yeah, I, w- I was referring to Anurag's experimentations even before War of the Spark as basically his like magic player midlife crisis because <laughs> he, he takes this like super established deck Miracles and he keeps adding like these allegedly quirky cards to cards to it. Like, I don't know how good his deck lists are. I think he's been somewhat down on a couple of things, like especially the new Teferi, which we will talk about in a minute, which hasn't broken legacy yet but one card i want to go back to um that i actually lost to yesterday is lodestone bobble which is a zero mana artifact that's not in the list uh, i just want to like pick your brain about that it's it allows you to sacrifice it for one mana and then you can basically put up to four basic land cards from a player's graveyard on top of his or library in any order which doesn't matter but it's also a cantrip for that particular player so if you do your loop and you produce infinite mana and infinite recursions of artifacts, that's actually a way for you to win on the spot. Because from what I've experienced against the deck is that sometimes it has to pass the turn if it doesn't have like Walking Ballista in hand or Monster Mentor, or is there a way for you to draw cards on your turn? I think. Uh, Julian, Lodestone Bobble has the same Bobble clause. It does it on the upkeep. Yeah, yeah but, but it kills the opponent on their next upkeep. That's the thing, because unlike other Bobbles, it makes that particular player draw. 
So it's oh, it's equivalent to walking ballista as far as it with the infinite mana it becomes a kill right there. Um, so the problem is uh, you want a sixty card deck, you want a cohesive deck, and you all the other cards I think are better at this point. Like I'm only playing three card great creators, which I would play four of if I were restricted to playing sixty one cards, and I'd probably play a lowstone bottle if sixty two cards were the minimum. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. Overall, I felt like the card probably wasn't needed, and I'd be surprised if you mentioned that it would be like in year six, uh, potential 65 or something. But it's a card I wanted to bring up for people to be aware of, because that's actually a way that you can lose in a spot, which I didn't expect. Like I, I felt I would actually get another turn and be able to kill them, but they managed to deck me right away. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's like walking Ballista as it's an instant kill. It doesn't sacrifice as easily. It costs an extra mana to do it, so it's it's the worst of the bobble effects. It's usually bobble number nine. And so before Karn the Great Creator was um, part of the deck, you had a few slots to fill, and it was a natural inclusion. Um, one thing you also have to touch on is how easy does the play deck uh, play on Magic Online? Because that's always been an issue with Bomberman because it requires a lot of clicking. How, how comfortable do you feel like in that? If somebody were to pick up the deck, would you recommend that, or would you tell them, okay, be prepared to spend like ten minutes on your on your final turn? So that's a great great question. Um, a few players will realize you have the win and concede, but the problem is when you have the bobble loop, as it's not actually a win, you just have to draw a bunch of cards. And so, yeah, um, I use my StarCraft to APM and uh, get clicking. <laughs> as a Protoss player, oh, come on. 80 APM, easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all, all you need is 80 APM for this. <laughs> but for real, it will take. it took me about six minutes to make 72 mana and then... So I had two mana left over, and then loop a bobble to draw thirty-five cards. Oh, six minutes pretty fast. I played against yeah, somebody else. Yeah, that's really um, fast. Yeah, that, that came up, and like you mentioned, they had the bobble loop, but not the kill. So I actually had to make them play it out because I had a win on my turn, and it actually took them, I think, twelve minutes or something. They might have been not as proficient as you are, but if if they have to win two games that way, it's going to be hard. So that's the nice part about this uh, this new deck with uh, with the new Karn, is you don't actually have to combo them that often. Like I'd say maybe twenty percent of my wins are through literal LED walking ballista loops, and the other eighty percent of my wins are just via monastery mentor beatdowns or Karn grabbing first an Incinerian Bridge or a Lion's Eye Diamond or something, and then a Lattice, and like. That just wins a bunch. Karn, Sign of Urza, Beatdowns. There's so many ways to win with this deck that you don't actually have to combo them that often. And a lot of times when you have the combo available to you, you can also, like say you have Karn, the Great Creator, in play. You could either make infinite mana and try to draw these cards, or you could make, like say, 12 mana and grab an Instaring Bridge and a Mycosynth Lattice and a Worm Coil Engine and say, okay, cool, That's you can't win And that's win pretty anymore. much it, right? Yeah, yeah, so you don't have to make 70 mana anymore quite as often. And when you play it in paper, you can easily just shortcut and win right away. So, like you mentioned, it's not going to come up too often. It will every once in a while come up of, uh, somewhat often. But overall, that's not something that should stop you from playing the deck. And man, I'm, I'm actually getting so so turned on by the deck. I want to play it right now. I'm actually going to jump on Magic Online after this and, and give it a try. And then probably I'd be like super miserable and feel like, oh, I misclicked or something. <laughs> no. So, um, 
something that's cool about this deck is it's it's hard to play. Like I notice myself misplaying with it constantly, but it's so powerful and forgiving that it often doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like you know what the- that remind that reminds me of. What does it remind you of? Miracles. <laughs> anyway, go on. I knew you were gonna say that too. Countertop it it reminds me of countertop miracles. <laughs> yeah, countertop miracles was along those levels of just insanely powerful, and you'd misplay, and you'd know you misplay. So, like, with the deck, I have something like a close to 80% win rate with it. And in every match I've lost, I can pinpoint the mistake that caused me to lose. And in every match I've won, I've also made mistakes, but they just didn't cause me to lose. (laughs) Like, I don't think there has been a single match that the cards, if played optimally, would have lost yet. And, like, even uh, when Jarvis was streaming it, he went 11-1, with his only loss being two very clear like well-acknowledged punts in two games i, I remember when you streamed yeah. against anorak and anorak got the mickers and lenters down and travis was like sweet here's my car and the game just ends <laughs> oh yeah he also went eight and two with the uh the card post deck the card ugin deck yep wait so, so he, he went a combined like 19 and three playing card decks uh yeah yeah 18 and two right or I think o- 11 and one and uh eight and two so yeah 19 and three yeah uh, that's pr- that's pretty wide yeah, it's uh, these are these are good decks. These are really good decks. <laughs> so, is there even a point in talking about the other cards? Because I know that uh, there's a couple of other cards, including one that was prophesized to break legacy for good, which is Car, uh, not Karn. <laughs> I'm sorry, Te- Teferi. What's it called? Time, time, time reveler. Yeah. How do you guys feel about that card? Because thus far, it hasn't really made a big splash. Is being held down by Karn, or is it really not as? great as advertised and spoiler i never liked the card in the first place but (laughs) (laughs) so when evaluating the card initially um i actually wrote a a piece on it on the blog um it's difficult to kind of evaluate a card on its own if we we were to say that the rest of war of the spark didn't exist and teferi entered the format and we still had legacy as you know the 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 true name nemesis mid-range mirror match that was starting to kind of um what the format was starting to become uh, Teferi would probably would be way better in that situation than it is now. Uh, and now that War of the Spark is released and all the other walkers have come out as well, Teferi doesn't look so good, um, in my opinion. I, I think the card needs to be kind of maximized around in order to actually work um, and, and actually provide the value that you would expect for it to have. And Miracles is where I thought the home was going to be for it initially, but it's just with with Karn is so scary that it's kind of forcing um, those cool new walkers like Narset, Teferi, and so on inside of these blue shells to not be quite as strong, in my opinion, at least. I think the Narset is still pretty good, and I think that's one of the reasons why um, the Teferi is kind of suffering. Is is a three mana blue planeswalker, and so they're competing for this exact same slot. Meanwhile, so the the Narset. Part of Veils, for those aren't who aren't familiar with the new cards, it's a two blue blue, so three mana total, five loyalty planeswalker with a static ability of each opponent can't draw more than one card each turn, so it has the Leovold clause on it. So I mean, it turns off Monarch, it turns off Brainstorm, it turns off all all, all the stuff that you know. All those I, I like to imagine do. somewhere during the game, Narset just walks into the battlefield and. Mission Impossible style rips it ha- its face mask off and it's like it's Leovold, bitches! Surprise! 
<laughs> it's very close to that card. And and to kind of provide context also, uh, I'm going to get read the text of Teferi so that our listeners can know what to compare the two. Um, Teferi Time Lavers, Raveler's three mana also. It's one blue and, and a white. And its static ability says that each opponent can't, uh, can only cast spells when they could cast a sorcery. So anything that you can't do anything against the speed anymore. Um, it's plus one. Uh, says until end of turn, you may cast a sorcery at, at as if it has flash. And then it's negative three. Uh, it's return up to one target artifact, creature, or enchantment uh, to its owner's hand, and then you draw a card. And um, initially, I thought the card was going to be like pretty good in its applications and its ability to combo with cantrips uh, and snapcaster mages and so on were very powerful, but it doesn't slot so easily into miracles on its own and you have to kind of build around it significantly more so than you would otherwise. Yep. That's uh, that's accurate for Teferi. And then uh, Narset has only one ability, only one activated ability. So it's a five loyalty planeswalker with a minus two that allows you to look at the top four cards of your library, put a non creature spell. Is that correct? Into your hand and the rest yes. on the bottom. Non creature, non land. Yeah. Non creature, non land. Yep. It kind of reminds, the... reminds me somewhat of um, what's the one called that flips into a land? Search for a scanter. Yeah, it somewhat reminds me of Search for a scanter in that regard. That if you get like two activations out of it, then that's already pretty good enough. Yeah, and it's also nice that it activates immediately to replace itself, right? So your worst case scenario, even if it just gets attacked and killed, is you're still at card parity. Yeah, that's something that's is always like super important especially when you end up in what i feel like we are in right now which feels like legacy has gotten a little slower it's not that much about like that diver used to be right like most diver decks especially grixis diver decks i think we're generally considered the the king of the format whatever you want to call that like rivaled by miracles or something but these days like people play diver but i think most people who are not like religious diver players they don't feel that good about diver anymore and maybe that's part of that is like that the format has slowed down quite a bit. But I'm I can't really put my can't really put my finger on it. I can't really tell you why that exactly happened. But it just feels like to me. I'm also playing. I'm playing a lot more value IFs these days, just because I'm winning so much more with it as opposed to like the traditional combo IFs, which is like at least a turn faster. I'm also having a lot of fun with Green White Maverick, which I'm also doing really well with, which is also like not the super fastest deck in the format. And I don't feel like there's something that's it's killing me super quickly that's holding me down but maybe you know now that i think about it maybe, maybe there's actually room for something like that to happen to really go under everything else um to, to shortly expand on that thought i remember when eldrazi winter hit, hit us i told a friend of mine i think you should really be playing belch and i've probably told the story many times but i felt like there's eldrazi which is like fast but belch is even faster and it usually will actually go under eldrazi and he played that and he went to the finals of Passover of moxen beating like multiple eldrazi decks along the way and I'm just wondering whether there's actually some strategic design space opening up as people start adding like Karns and Narsets and everything to Miracles. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is kind of a StarCraft strategy leaking over into Magic. But the way to beat someone's strategy is to either be a little slower than them or a lot faster than them. And so if um, everyone's getting like just kind of trying to little slower each other, at one point, you'll hit a critical point where you can all of a sudden just be a lot faster, and the metagame kind of resets. It 
it's it's so much fun. It's so funny, and I'm so glad that you're on because I also often think in in magic strategy, uh, in comparison to Starcraft strategy, that where that same thing that that principle that you just mentioned is super super important, and where it's super healthy for, for people to sometimes just start. Well, in Starcraft, you would call it like four pool or six pooling, or I'm actually not sure <laughs> which kind of cheese people play these days. But that's a thing to keep people quote unquote honest. And not go too crazy with the mana or the like the, the production in Starcraft. And yeah, I wonder. I wonder about what, what we are gonna see. Maybe the return of well, <laughs> I'm well not sure. so <laughs> the, I, don't, the, I don't think Belcher beats the Chalice decks anymore. I think that the Chalice decks themselves, um I've been the empty of the Warren strategy hasn't worked against me. I've been playing a bunch of Chalice decks and I can beat eight to ten goblins. Or not 10, but I can beat 8 goblins pretty frequently. Either just by getting a, enough blockers and probably throwing something from lifelink. Or I have... In Steel Stompy, I had 4 ratchet bombs in my sideboard. That's kind of a proactive way to beat uh, Back to Basics and Trunian Nemesis. So I would just bring those 4 ratchet bombs in and all of a sudden it uh, doesn't really matter how many goblins you make if I'm not actually dead on turn 1 then I'm going to win because I have four chalices, which are super effective, and four thorn of amethyst, which are, again, super effective. And so the Belcher strategy, I think, works in a particular subset of the metagame. But the overall idea of finding a deck that just kills extremely fast as these people slow each other down is uh, very potent. One more card I would like to t quickly talk about, and that stupid magic gatherer is only gonna give me the German name, um, is the new Ugin. Uh, I think the, the English name is something Ugin the... Infallible. Um, ineffable. Infallible. Or um, ineffable, excuse me, yes. Ineffable, yeah. So, before we it's get a six mana Planeswalker. Uh, let, let me introduce the card first, because I, yeah. I'd be surprised if most people knew what it, what it did. It's a six mana Planeswalker, it has four loyalty. Your colorless spells... That you cast, that uh, actually I have to simultaneously translate this because it's, it's all in German. Uh, your color spells basically cost two mana less. For plus one, you can exile the top card of your library and put a two-two ghost creature token into play. And also look at that exile card. And with the ghost creature token leaves play, so not even dies, so it gets terminus. Then you get to put that card into your hand from exile. And for minus three, you get to destroy a colorless permanent on the battlefield. Um, so. It's a it's We've a seen permanent that's one or more colors. Oh, a col oh yeah, you're right. See that? I should not look at German cards anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you saw the card in the list you posted, and that uh, Travis played with in the Ugin Karn post deck list. What's like like we mentioned? We're not gonna talk not only talk about what the card does, but also what the card does for the deck. Like which kind of role is that card playing for you? So it's um. I've, when I play with the card, it oftentimes makes, like, it's mana equivalent on the turn you cast it. So I've had, like, six mana in play. Like, say I have two cloud posts in play, and then I play my third land, it's a glimmer post, all of a sudden I have seven mana. So I tap six to play the Ugin. Pay zero to cast a Grim Monolith, so Grim Monolith is now Black Lotus. Tap Grim Monolith, so I now have four mana in play. Play a two mana Thought Not Seer, and then say, play something, like, I could play two two-mana Thought Not Seers, or, like, a Thought Not Seer and a Reality Smasher, since I, no, no, I only have four mana. Two Thought Not Seers, and, like, you know, a 
Sorcerer's Spyglass for free, and manifest the top card in my library into a 2-2. Like, all of that in one turn with this new Ugin. I want to do that. Can you do that right now? <laughs> um, on my Twitter, I actually have a, a clip of me doing that. It's it's something beautiful. Oh, we're, de we're definitely going to link all your social media stuff later on so people can see that, because that's something I also really want to see. Uh, something that's interesting to me, I saw Charvis actually win under Mikas Atlantis when his opponent had Karn, because what Ugin allowed him to do was to still cast his uh, Walking Ballistas as 1-1s. Yes. And that was actually good enough to take down the opposing Karn and like basically free himself from the lock, which to me is amazing. I mean, it's cute. It's not why the card is in the deck, but it's something to be aware of when you, when you play the deck or against the deck. Oh, yeah, that was such a cool interaction. I, <laughs> I was thinking Jarvis is dead, and then uh, someone in Jarvis's chat, I think uh, the, the Doe is the user's name. Correct. She, yep, that uh, was him. She's like, wait, 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 you're not dead. You're not dead. And Jarvis was like, what are you talking about? Was like, she was like, okay, you can uh, still cast Ballistas, and since you have a Karn too, you're just kind of at the stalemate, um, you're going to win. Yeah, initially it was going to come down to tagging, right? Travis was like one card deeper into his deck, so he, he assumed he was going to deck, but yeah, the Walking Ballistas, they actually got him there. So it's Jarvis was one card shallower in the deck, and then Jarvis used the Ugin's plus ability to uh, manifest the top card of his library, which actually put him one card deeper, so he was going to lose the race because he plus Ugin. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he technically actually killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> he killed himself, but then he, he unkilled himself. So unkilled the, himself. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, uh, okay. That, that's pretty amazing. So, <laughs> if you... Mm, now, actually, let me put it like this. Do you see something getting banned out of this? I think that's that's already pretty far into the future, and I think your answer is probably going to be no, because you haven't explored it enough yet. But you, you, you were like, this deck is like Treasure Cruise levels busted. Is what are the, what's the over-under on this, like, getting banned? So, so far, the matchup I've been afraid of is four-color alone. Um, Everybody's afraid of four-color alone. It's so funny. No matter which deck you play, you always feel like, oh, four-color alone, eh, I'd play something else. Nah, I don't mind. Let me, let me have a different <laughs> opponent. Yeah, that's... So, yeah, Gaddock Teague is a pain. Uh, Night of the Reliquary is a pain. Chalice on Zero is a pain. Leyland of the Void is a pain. Thalia is kind of a pain. So, like, the deck, four-color alone actually has a a decent amount of uh, action against the deck, as does Maverick, I think. But um, the Loam Lock part of Four Color Loam is also really good, as is Punishing Fire for killing mentors. Um, so yeah, I think that that's probably a challenging matchup. I've only played it once, and I would have won, but I made a... I kind of made a misplay. I was My life total was a little bit low, and so I was flashing in a Containment Priest that I had... Um, just uh, in response to a Green Suns out of my opponent. And instead of tapping my Ancient Tomb, I sacrificed a Lotus Petal. And then the next turn, the last turn, I top decked a Karn, and I was Karn, the Great Creator, and I was one mana short of uh, Mycus and Thadassing. Wow. Because Dude, I used why my did I petal. even invite you to the podcast? That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> so my, my judgment call of not tapping the Ancient Tomb uh, cost me that match. But yeah, so... It's, it's still a close matchup. I don't think anything's going to get banned yet because of the new set Modern Horizons coming out. Um, I think that's hopefully also going to change up Legacy as well as uh, change the modern format. And so I think it's A, way too early to see. I think that um, these current decks can get reacted to. Something fun to do if someone uh, tries to make us and flatus you and you 
If you like playing Hercules Recall in your deck, it's you can flip two mana, and then Hercules Recall once <laughs> everything becomes an artifact and bounce their entire board. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, dude, I'm, I, I was gonna mention like Nyrod for to, to see the world burn, uh, burn, but uh, Recall, dude. I'm gonna, <laughs> if you pull that off on a stream and you you post that highlight, I guarantee you're gonna get like I don't know a couple thousand instant views. It's gonna be like probably like it's probably gonna be like front page of slash r MT, uh, magic MT, uh, TCG on on Reddit because that's amazing. That that's basically what I want to see. Like these days, I think so much about about magic in terms of like a spectator sport and like have awesome stuff. And that's also what I'm well, I'm going on an attention here. But that's also what I like try to do in my stream, like to actually be like more entertaining than educational. But <laughs> which is probably like an easy way to say I'm actually not playing very well. <laughs> But stuff like that is what I want to see. And if Karn is giving us like stuff like that, even if he's on the receiving end of that, then, whoa, I, I really can't wait to see that. <laughs> yeah, so I think that the answers exist. Legacy is a very powerful format, and answers exist to this kind of deck. It's just at this one point, there's it's attacking on these five different axes, and pretty much every deck is weak to a few of those axes. That's a very potent place to be, uh, and it does all of them really, really well. And you can kind of veer your game plan to what your opponent is doing at all times. And I think that's that's exactly what you want in a very powerful magic deck. I, I think it's way too early to kind of say that anything's going to get banned, though, because this the set came out um, last week on Magic Online, and it's been only legal in paper for uh, twenty four hours essentially. And people will adjust, people will react, people will play with new cards, um, and then eventually. Things will settle down, and and we'll we'll have a metagame again, and people will figure things out. That's that's a completely fair assessment, Min. Um, one thing I will say to tout this deck a little bit more is it's powerful enough that I am willing to do the clicking on MTGO. Like, oh, okay, it's it's good enough that I'm willing to do that. <laughs> Any idea what your magic online writing is right now? Um, it's in the high 1800s, but that's because I've been trying uh, other decks too. I've just I I post the decks oh, that work. You're seeing other decks, even though you already got the best deck. <laughs> so, um, I I love to tinker. Um, I just I love to brew. The a problem I have with Magic in general is once I think I've constructed the perfect 75 of an archetype, I put it down. I'm like, okay, cool. I've figured this out. On to the next thing, and. So I lose interest in decks that way, which is kind of unfortunate because once I feel like I've perfected a deck, I no longer care about it. I want to perfect. You don't like the next money. Thing. You don't like success. <laughs> <laughs> I like the process of discovery. I, I work a job for money. Oh man, so. that's that's so romantic. It, it's funny you mentioned that though, Max, because I, I think I have the exact opposite approach. I was gonna, dude. Yeah. I was gonna say I, I feel menace the complete the, the complete opposite. Uh, sorry to interrupt you on this. No, please. I was gonna bring it up. I I asked Min like. Before we started the podcast a couple of days ago, Min, what, what do you think is like your favorite card that is not playable in Legacy? And usually you get like interesting answers out of people like, I don't know, like Mana Maze or anything. Like people, like for me, it's always like Defense of the Heart. And Min was like, mm, the card I wish was Legacy playable, but isn't, is hard for me to contemplate, honestly. Because I basically only think about Legacy in terms of, quote unquote, competitive cards or playable cards, if that makes sense. I guess the cheeky answer is probably in Treat the Angels or Teferi, Theory of Dominaria. And I was like, that was all portent. And to me, that was like such a letdown. And yeah, Min feels like the complete opposite of you in that regard. Like he really wants to like crush people and, and 
come out of the top and yeah so, so it, it, make for a good do in that regard. It, it, it's not like that necessarily it's just more along the lines of i my, my strength isn't necessarily brewing um i like to take something and dive into it and fully understand it um before i put anything away and that's and I, I guess i'm kind of on a quest that is completely impossible because i'm gonna try to fully understand miracles at some point and that I've been doing that for how? What year is it now? Twenty nineteen. So five, six years almost, and I, I'm not close. <laughs> uh, and it's not. It's a. It's a journey that I think. Um, it, it, it. There has no real end to it because I. I discover things that I misunderstood years and years and years ago. Um, and even now, like, I, I'm learning and 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 kind of understanding a deck list that I've seen for two years and i didn't really fully understand why it was built the way it was and now i do and even like those kind of contemplations i think are extremely key do you think one day peter jackson's gonna put out a movie about your journey of understanding <laughs> <laughs> oh definitely not it's not near, remotely that entertaining i would watch it I would watch maybe that should be a thing on your stream you know that you you're at the end of the stream you sit down and you're like okay let's contemplate what we learned today uh, <laughs> well, I would spend more time doing that than actually playing Magic, and I think I do spend more time contemplating what I learned from, like, kind of understanding cards than I actually do playing Magic. So it's more likely we're actually not going to see a movie, but like a book, like you know how Stephen Menendian wrote about Gush. You're going to write about Mercus, but a couple of volumes. Oh man, no, no, that, that's a little too much even for me. I think. Uh, I can, I can feel, I can sense you being tempted by it. I am. <laughs> it is Isn't tempting it kind of to funny that how, how Miracles actually doesn't have like a central hub, like you know the Epic Storm, or there's also like FreedomSunCenter.com now for Maverick players. I feel like Miracles is one of the most tight knit, or I don't know, one of those communities that works the most on the deck, and yet it doesn't. I guess we have Miracles chats, but those are more like meme chats these days. <laughs> In and some cases, like, yeah. The, yeah. the, there, there is um, like kind of a, a group of us that work together explicitly on miracles, but it's not, it, it's not crazy in depth or anything. And I think part of the reason why there is no central hub is a, it kind of requires a lot of time, and everyone involved in that higher level of of, of playing the deck doesn't really have the time to kind of dictate towards that central hub. Um, so, so that makes me wonder why there's no no betcha. There, there should be a betcha hub. <laughs> people get together hey i got five turn one kills today how did he go well i didn't catch a single league okay <laughs> <laughs> so the problem it's not really a problem but it's uh something that's a little bit tough about miracles and why there's infinite discussion about it is it's a deck that's actually correct to taste i don't think there's a correct miracle 75 even in a truly stagnant metagame where nothing will say hey nothing in this metagame will change for the next year I don't think that two miracles play like if Min and Anu both uh, had to go to the same tournament, I don't think that they should be playing the same 75 cards in miracles. And I think that that's both a blessing and a curse for the deck because there's only so much discussion you can get out of other people's opinions when the deck is actually correct to how you play it. That's interesting. Uh, how, how would you say Anorak and Min actually... What's the biggest... I can kind of give. Yeah. I think I can kind of give more of a, a concept there because, so I I like clean cut uh, abilities to win, and I like 
I like experimenting to some degree, but I will deep dive heavily on what I believe to be good and just iterate on that over and over and over again. Whereas Anurag likes to kind of mix and match what he does on a regular basis because he plays way more, like more significantly uh, often than I do. And I, I, I think time, I think, is the biggest factor and the biggest difference. So like, you're saying I, Anurag is actually unemployed and should actually get a proper job? <laughs> I, I don't think it's that at all. It's just more along the lines of I my time is limited when I in what I can give towards experimentation. And I know what works for me. And I, and I like decks that kind of have a unified game plan towards one specific instance. And I like having that plan work out well and iterate on that plan over and over. So like... I don't really like the the kind of intermittent miracles game plans of counterbalance with with entreat the angels and so on because you're asking for a lot of moving pieces to work. Um, I like clean cut game plans of like okay I'm going to play back to basics and counterbalance and then lock my opponent out of the game and I'll kill them with a monastery mentor, or I will play a stack of monastery mentors and and force my opponent to interact with me over and over and eventually i'll pull ahead with accumulated knowledge monastery mentor is like, a great instance of this uh, sorry to cut you off no now. go ahead please but, yeah. yeah so some players are going to just intuitively want to wait on casting their monastery mentors until they feel like they've got a nice place in the game and they can really leverage the card and make monks and get value meanwhile other players will just like cast a mentor on turn three and say go like hey can you can you beat this card and those are play style differences that i don't think are either wrong or right but should dictate how many mentors you play how willing are you to throw away a monastery mentor if the answer is pretty willing you should probably be playing more of them and they're both correct they're both they're both right as far as how to actually play miracles and how to design miracles it just depends what you want to do so yeah. you're saying you're saying there's a perfect list, quote-unquote perfect, for a specific player. But basically, there's perfect place and there's perfect deck lists. And if you get like a deck list that's perfect for a specific player, then you might not play it perfectly because of your style to like a worse outcome. Then had you played a deck list that for that specific player would be imperfect, but perfect for you. Okay, we're getting way too deep into this. but I, <laughs> <laughs> This could be another podcast episode, yeah. <laughs> See that, that that's what you get when when we invite you guys. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, that's a super interesting concept because I think in Magic players there's a lot of desire to always find like the perfect thing, like to to really like have Google construct your deck list. And I wonder if you're ever gonna get there. <laughs> but I, I I don't think in Legacy you're ever gonna get there. I, I think it's impossible to unless you play a deck that is so formulaic and so specific that you you have a set in stone 75 and I, I think even then like the the play patterns involved and it, it, it you just get so I, I guess the biggest kind of divide between uh, kind of the earlier concept of like myself and Anurag as a player is he focuses significantly more on the deck list where I focus significantly more on the actual play um and Man, oh, I, you're throwing a lot of shades at Anurag. It's it's not that at all. I, I he he's a <laughs> know, he's a way better player than I am. I, know. Well, okay. <laughs> I, I I sincerely believe that. And my my point is, I I don't worry too much about my tool, but I want my the tool that I use to be very specific, so I don't have to battle against it constantly and thinking and playing. And I, I I consider that mostly because we we have uh, Daniel Goichel. I I think you may know of him. He's cool Ducat at Magic Online. We might he, have had him on the last episode of the podcast. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, 
he 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 likes to kind of belittle himself and kind of make decisions based on what he thinks is easier for him to do and i'm very much in that camp it's easier for me to play a deck list that does something specific or something or has the ability to be more um like linear i guess is, is the kind of the black sheep phrase to pull here uh, i i like those decks because i can play them better and win more with them um and tinkering and iterating on those it brings enjoyment to me uh whereas other folk like anurag is more they're more comfortable with tinkering with deck lists and because their play is no not under their own question if that makes sense it's interesting you i think you guys actually somewhat changed my mind about something today because in the past whenever somebody said well this is just a question of play styles uh, whether you play this card or that card i always not only subconsciously but very much thought okay that person is just lazy they don't want to figure it out this is really just like a lazy person and, and, and <laughs> it might actually be a cop-out and sometimes people might actually be lazy about that maybe that's where i'm getting the feeling from but like on a higher level I, especially with the, the example of Monastery Mentor that Max mentioned early on, because I can so much identify with it. I'm doing sometimes similar thing with Elves, where I'm like tapping out for something that's probably not... A lot of people wouldn't tap out that aggressively for it, but I always feel like they either answer it, like with Mentor, right away, uh, but if they don't, I'm going to pull ahead like, like crazy. And if they end up answering it, maybe I'm actually getting a tempo advantage out of that. And now they have to like keep playing back into me because I was the first one to actually put something out there that they couldn't handle on my end step. And I think if as long as you are aware of what you're doing and why you're doing it in that way, and your your reason is like more than just like, well, I have the mana and I have the card, I'm gonna cast it, then you're probably like improving as a player. Like to me, the biggest one of my biggest steps as a player really was like the realization that I don't have to use my mana every turn all the time that I don't need to like oh I have one one blue mana okay brainstorm brainstorm right away I think that also leads to like so many players playing brainstorm on the first turn for no reason just because they, <laughs> they, they feel like internally pressured into like utilizing their tempo but they're sacrificing their card advantage at a very bad like exchange rate <laughs> tempo wise and yeah I just the, want the to flip, get back to that the, the flip side of that also is uh, you have to understand that there's some moments that those that is absolutely correct to do and I think even the, the turn one brainstorm example is underrated because there are some instances when you need the brainstorm in your hand to resolve. And if your opponent, if you main phase brainstorm on turn one, that means that either A, you have a fast combo kill of some sort, or B, you just needed the brainstorm to resolve. And I think people discount the, the moments in doing so quite heavily, even though it is technically incorrect. Um, and pe you, you probably shouldn't do it very often. But in some cases, if you need your brainstorm to resolve against a deck playing Wasteland or Days or so on, Sometimes it is correct to just do it main yeah. phase. I think there's even a third reason. Um, sorry, Max, to interrupt you there. Uh, the third reason is also that, that you really want to make sure, for example, that you want to hit your second land drop. Yeah, from yep. yeah, and that's something that when people do it, that going back to like black and white heuristics, like people say, oh, first of all, you're like on a very basic level. You just cast your cards. Then you get to a better level and you, you're like, okay, you don't cast end of turn brainstorm or like main phase brainstorm on the first turn or something. And then you like move on. You leave that behind you and you're willing to make yourself look a little bit stupid, uh, to the people who haven't made that realization yet. And then you can move on and improve as a player because you realize those three, uh, aspects that we talked about and can improve on that. And I think a lot of people stop exactly there, like at the next exact moment, because they are scared of looking stupid. And for a long time, I've actually been wanting to write an article about that, like how your ego is holding you back as a player, like not you, but like in general. Oh, and no, definitely. I also yeah. wanted to, to mention something there. 
looking stupid is all upside. Like, the stupider you look to your opponent, the more likely you are to win the game. You don't actually get stupider, they just play worse. Like, looking stupid is a fantastic thing to do. If you can con- convince your opponent you're bad at magic, you are <laughs> so much more likely to win the game than you would otherwise be. It's it's actually insane. And following the brainstorm thing, um, brainstorm is very good at changing the texture of your hand. If your hand is filled with things that say draw a card on it, like, you know, some manipulate your library, draw a card, and you need cards with actual text, um, as Miracles players often do, then yeah, sometimes, yeah, you just got to brainstorm. Brainstorm turn one. Because you, you have to change your cards that say draw a card into cards that affect the game. And if that's on turn one, you just have to do that immediately because you have something like three brainstorms in your hand, then do it. Yeah. Yeah, a good example would be, like, say you're up against a fast combo deck and they don't kill you on the first turn, and you really want to find, like, your Flusterstorms or Counterspells or Forces, and you have, like, a couple of cantrips in hand, then you're definitely going to go for that. And, like, who cares if you end up losing and people are going to be like, oh, you misplayed your brainstorms. Like, no, actually, I didn't, but if you want, I can explain it to you. And, uh, yeah, usually people don't want to hear that, but it's really good to talk (laughs) about that because I think people should talk about that even more because it would have helped me as a player quite a lot. Had Like, I started Legacy in 2006, seven and i was horrible for like many years and maybe allegedly i'm not horrible anymore but at least a little better but it took me quite a while to make that step because i was also held back like by my ego at a certain point because i felt like oh no this is how the good players do it but fuck the good players (laughs) (laughs) it's funny it's it's funny you say that too because in uh in in a recent kind of min max um blog post again i keep referencing our blog because we've talked about all these concepts there too uh, I talk about this in that in, in, in when it came to miracles, I, the largest thing that was holding me back was listening to people idolize. Uh, and I, I very much suffer from uh, kind of idolization of people that I, I, I believe to be better than I am at all times. And I, I hold myself back because if I don't do what they're doing, then I think I'm playing something incorrect or in, inefficient and so on. So when, the moment when I looked at not what the people I believed uh, to be respect to be respected, telling me what to do. But that's when I realized that wait a second, if I play Blood Moon, if I play Back to Basics, I'm not actually losing anymore. I'm winning. But it's is it bad to win with those cards? No, it's not. It, it it's something that you have to kind of discover on your own. Yeah, I think that that's a pretty good thing to end the podcast on. Like, just play Magic. Don't be afraid how you look, because like Max said. Looking stupid is all upside. <laughs> Absolutely, Guys, it is. Yes. Um, where can people find find you on social media? We already mentioned your blog, minmaxblog.com. Uh, how do people get in touch with you? Whether can they watch your streams? How can they send fan mail to you? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Min, do you want to plug the uh, the other contents for the website and then your Twitter and stuff, and then I'll do mine? Yeah, that sounds great. Um, so, minmaxblog.com, as 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 you've heard multiple times over and over on this episode. Um, we also have a YouTube channel, uh, so MinMax, uh, MinMax uh, on YouTube as well. Um, we, we don't really, we, we basically link all of our videos back to our blog site, so that's going to be the main place where you'll find everything. Uh, and if you want to email us also, um, that is possible as well. You guys, at you guys use email? <laughs> we do, yeah. Uh, at minmaxingblog.com okay. or at gmail.com. <laughs> uh, and then myself, you can find uh, at at Mini Hodge on Twitter and uh, Min Hawk on Facebook. 
And uh, yeah, so all the same stuff for me for the MinMax blog stuff. And then for my Twitter, it's MXG online. Um, and my, you can find me on Facebook as Max Gilmore, where that is my name. <laughs> Great. If you guys want to find more about Everyday Eternal or my own stream, you can head to itsjulian.com, which is the website where we host this podcast. Uh, it also has a lot of my, well, not so many articles these days because I also don't have a lot of time, but a lot of videos I try to stream twice a week. Uh, if you like the podcast, give us a shout out on iTunes. I really, I really want to thank everybody. I think we've had 11 reviews in like a month or something. That's a lot. And all of you guys gave us five stars. So please don't break the combo but <laughs> you had a lot of nice, th nice things to say about us and we also have a patreon now so if you head to patreon.com slash everyday eternal you can support the show for something like like one dollar two dollar five dollar ten dollars a week and i want to give a big shout out to mr scott monroe who's running the no, Sway, no, his, his nickname is cryo first of all i saw i butchered this <laughs> no he's running um the sway Esports team, they are, I think, is particularly known for Rocket League, but also a lot, a lot of, lot of other uh, things. And he's our first Grizzlebrand tier subscriber, which will eventually get you a T-shirt of the Everyday Eternal podcast. So, Scott, thanks a lot for your support. Thanks a lot to all our eighteen other Patreons, pa patrons on Patreon. Um, maybe I should actually like pre-record this and just play it. <laughs> No, thanks, guys. Really, you're really making a big difference because there's like hosting fees and like also we want to upgrade some of our equipment and you're really making a difference with regards to that. So you're really making like making it easier for you to produce the show and bring you this content and also pay guests like Max and Min. Like, wait, this, this is where Min is supposed to say, wait, Max, you're getting paid. <laughs> no. Wait, Min, you're not getting paid? <laughs> uh, I missed my mouth. <laughs> so... Let us know how you liked this episode and definitely check out minmaxblog.com for more future legacy content and allegedly, maybe, truly the best deck of the format that we learned about today. Thanks a lot and see you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye, -bye.